Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the School of Travels podcast. During this pandemic, I have been doing a lot of thinking, thinking about whether I should stop this very fast-paced travel that I have been doing for the last two and a half years, almost three years now. And I've been finding myself wanting to have a more permanent base again. For longtime listeners of the podcast, you'll know that I spent about 12 years living in Tokyo, Japan, and I still have permanent residency in Japan, which is how I was able to spend seven months there this year during this pandemic. But I've spent a lot of time in Japan, and if I think about my next more permanent base, I have to say that I'd want to be based in a different part of the world. And in 2018 and 2019, I'd actually visited Lisbon, Portugal, and really, really loved it. And I found myself starting to think more and more about Portugal as I was stuck in Japan and thinking about where to go next, because I knew that I wasn't going to be living again long-term in Japan, at least for now. So I started looking into how to get into Portugal during this time. And because Japan was technically on the able to enter Europe list, I thought, why not give it a try even though I only have a U.S. passport, and those haven't been viewed in the most positive light these days for travel. So it was a big gamble, but after two long flights and a bit of negotiation, I finally made it into Portugal at the end of August. And I have to tell you, this last month I've been here has really been a positive experience, and it's made me decide to actually choose Lisbon and choose Portugal as my next long-term base. I don't know how long I'll be here, but to stay, I need to apply for a residency visa in Portugal. So once I got to Portugal, I got back in touch with a friend I had met last summer in Bulgaria, James Cave. James started a blog called Portugalist.com about the best places to travel to and live in and how to move to Portugal. So I thought James would be a perfect person to interview for many people that are interested in potentially moving to or visiting Portugal. So I'd like to now introduce James from Portugalist.com on his hilarious and entertaining house-sitting stints around the world. We'll talk about that first, and then we're going to get into his expertise on Portugal and why you might want to make it your home. Welcome to episode 44 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I am in Lisbon, Portugal with James Cave. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And I have a lot of questions for you, James, about moving to Portugal, which we're going to talk a lot about in this episode. But first of all, James, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am James and I come from Ireland originally. Um, Although I wasn't born there, I was born in England. But I never really tell people that. I always just say Ireland instead. We have a better reputation around the world. Um, And when I was two, my um, parents moved from England to Portugal, where they were working out here for a sort of charity. And so I lived here from the ages of two until seven, and then moved back to Ireland. So went to school here and um, 
apparently spoke Portuguese. I don't remember speaking Portuguese and I forgot it as soon as I moved back to Ireland. So I'm now relearning it as an adult. Yet then spent my uh, formative years in Ireland in the Irish countryside. And then at about um, 18, 19, I think it was, I moved over to the UK. Um, started working there in online marketing. Actually, before I, while I was trying to do that, I ended up working for an online kilt shop. This was my general foray into marketing, where which sold um, kilts to um, Americans um, over the internet, um, which was one of the more unusual jobs that I had. Um, but then, yeah, ended up in online marketing, did that for a few years, wondered why am I doing this in Scotland when it's a job that you could do anywhere. And that was how I sort of fell into, um, into traveling. That was about... 2012 I think that I that I left um, the UK to go traveling I'd been thinking about it for a few years uh, the first place I ended up in was uh, France oh wow well okay quick question before we okay. continue um, did you ever have to pose for a promotional photo for the online kilt shop I didn't know um, which is a shame <laughs> I've only ever worn a kilt once it was a lot of fun I would wear one again um, I just, I don't have a lot of, um, I thought I was going to have a lot more weddings. You know, there's a certain period in your, so I don't know, around 30 where you just seem to have loads of them and I should have bought a kilt at that point and I didn't. And now I'm, I'm waiting for the next sort of wedding season to begin and I'll get one. Right after Corona, I'm sure exactly, you're yeah. all the invitations are piling up yeah. and yes, oh, I just, I, I think kilts are fascinating. I would love to go to a wedding with lots of kilts. Haven't done it either, James. Um, but yeah, maybe it'll be in the future. It is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back a little bit. Okay. Um, so you were living in Portugal until the age of seven. That's right. Do you have any early memories of Portugal? Um, yeah, I do. It's, it's hard to know which ones are um, which ones are sort of from things that I've been told later on by my parents and things that are maybe I've seen a photograph of and things like that. One memory I have, I, one memory I know I definitely have because there's no photos of this um is uh we had like a class project in i must have been like five or six and we had to um the the school wall had a lot of holes in it like uh, it was kind of rickety portugal is still quite rickety um it was very very rickety then um and so we had to mix cement and get rocks and sort of fill up the holes in the wall to fix up the school um, I think uh, one memory my parents always tell me, or one thing my parents always tell me, but I have no memory of, was um, the first time I think I was sent off to school, maybe, this wasn't primary school, so this was the sort of preschool before it, they, um, they put us all in the back of like a truck, like an open top truck, and uh, took us into the forest where we had, uh, roasted chestnuts and drank sweet wine. Not something I think that happens in most sort of preschools or primary schools even. Um, but I don't have any memory of that one. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any others. Uh, but yeah, I think Portugal was probably... Um, it, you know, it still is a, um, a very traditional, slightly... I want to say this in the right way. It's In some ways it's a little bit behind the rest of Europe, like everything is a little bit more old-fashioned and things like that. And so I imagine back then in the 80s, it was it was much, much 
were different because um, the country had been closed until the mid-70s. It was a dictatorship and they didn't really have much in the way of outside um, influence coming in. Um, so this was, this was just it, um, opening up to people coming in again. And that might explain also why your parents had come as a charity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with a charity organization. Yeah. Wow. It's so interesting to think. I, I spent my entire life, my entire youth in the U.S. in the same town, and it's always fascinating to think, what would life have been like for me or for anybody listening like to go to another country and go to school in that country? So do you think that that early, it sounds like some of these memories were are still there, some of them were lost, but do you think that shaped this idea of traveling around and being comfortable with it in the future? I think it definitely made me comfortable with it, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so I've, I feel very comfortable, maybe a little bit too comfortable now because, you know, when you're traveling around, one of the problems is, is settling. And, uh, and I know it's something that I should do and I don't, and I haven't until recently had such a strong desire to do it. Um, so yeah, maybe it makes you a little too comfortable. As you said, like you started being a nomad in two, in twenty twelve. Yep. So I guess I want to say I want to say eight years, but maybe it's been seven because you've had to stay here most of this year. Perhaps. That's true. Yeah. Um. There was definitely. Um. Yeah. So this year and there's been other years where I've been I've been quite a grounded nomad. Like I most times it would have been for months at a time that I'd be in one place and not really I did. I'm uh, not really someone who's traveled around and and moved a lot of times. I did it once, I think, um, where I really went um, to like several Asian countries in about six months. And it was just sort of moving every two weeks or so, or even every week. I think, um, yeah, with visas, I remember in Vietnam, it was like four places and one week for each place. But it was so hard to do because you're trying to sightsee and you're trying to work and you're trying to maybe have some kind of social life, like maybe meet someone there. And the whole thing, yeah, it was just too much. I have to say last year, I spent a lot of weeks like that and people told me I was going too fast. And this year has made me... I don't know about you, it's made me feel that I need to slow down and become a, either a slow mad or, as we're going to talk about mm-hmm. later, possibly become a resident of a country again, which I haven't wow. done since 2017. Yeah, that so. is a big change. That's a big step. Yeah. Um, yeah, this year, actually, I've kind of enjoyed, you know, um, I think if um, I knew I had to come back to Portugal because we had met earlier this year in in Thailand um, so I knew that I was going to have to come back here for work related things but I think if um, if it hadn't been for Corona I would always be thinking I'm here in Portugal and it's great but I wish I was somewhere that I hadn't been before and not having that choice um, I think is very liberating in a way like just thinking you know just never having to think about traveling or um, or just wishing you were somewhere else um, I've, I've enjoyed it it's really interesting to see how like you said taking out the choice yeah m- makes you do different things and I, I can tell you that I was based in one country in Japan for 11 to 12 years and I visited almost 50 countries from there. I've, I've now been to almost 70 and I had that wow. base and it, it is easy. It's, it's, it's possible to see a lot of places while having a base. So, you know, it's, it's another way perhaps we're going to do this in 2021. Yeah. Perhaps the, the slow matting continues. So you're trying to convince yourself? Yes, <laughs> I am. I am. Um, yes, because I did it before. Maybe this is going to be possible. <laughs> you don't look convinced <laughs> from across the table there. <laughs> 
Well, it's a big commitment. It is a big commitment, and maybe I'm making uh, the commitment too fast, but I'm going to hopefully find out more about this from you for okay. me and for others who might be thinking about finding a place to stay for a while or becoming a resident because mm-hmm. of corona or just because that they feel that it's the thing for them at this time. So, sure. But first of all, let's mm-hmm. go back to France. To France. So you said you had finally decided, okay, I'm going to start my nomadic journey and you went to France, and how was that first place? How was starting off on this whole travel lifestyle? Um, you know what? It went really badly, actually, because within three... Uh, so um, I was really, really prepared then. Like, I'd done lots of research about um, what I would need and thinking about um, what I need to bring with me, what I need to pack, whereas now, um, I think, you know, when I went over to Asia earlier this year, I just sort of threw some things in a bag, just made sure I had my passport and a credit card, and that was about it. Um, but uh, And I had been to France before. It wasn't that it was um, that it was anything new. It was just, yeah, I was really thinking uh, long-term. And um, so me and uh, my girlfriend at the time, we decided what we were going to do was we were going to house it. Um, which is look after other people's houses and pets while they're away. You can uh, do that? You can do that. Um, I did it. Uh, I did it and so can you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I did it and um, uh, and it was good. So the first, I think the, play, the first one I had was in the Charente in France, which is a nice uh, region sort of in the center of France where I was looking, or we were looking after an old French farmhouse um, with a, a, there was definitely two dogs. Um, there might have been a cat, I probably should remember this. Um, and I crashed the car um, there. On, within two weeks of starting this adventure, I crashed the car because I brought one over because we knew this, uh, all these house sits were in the countryside. Um, so that was quite complicated because um, Whereas in Portugal, people speak English. In France, they don't speak English, especially in the countryside. Um, and I didn't even crash it that badly. Uh, like, I think I was going maybe 20, 30 kilometers an hour. Um, hit another car um, just at the wrong angle. It uh, destroyed the chassis. I didn't know what that was at the time, but I've since learned what a chassis is. Um, and um, the car... Uh, yeah, the car was just, um, it looked fine, but then when I tried to drive it, it wasn't really fine. So I made it back to the house um, and I thought, oh, it's going to be okay. We'll take it to a garage and get it sorted. And um, uh, and no, it wasn't okay. The, basically, the damages were more than the value of the car. Um, so I had to go back. Uh, so it was quite confusing. So I was drive- I needed to drive a left-hand drive car, which is what they drive in. Europe, I think. Um, but uh, I was uh, still um, technically sort of living in the UK for, um, so I needed to find a left-hand drive car in the UK where they drive right-hand drive cars. So I had to go all the way back, find another one um, after this house had ended and get down to the next one. Um, so yeah, Was this a rental car? No, this was, no, this was one I bought. Okay. Um, so that was the first hiccup along the way yeah. um yeah so that that wasn't well. good but i managed to do it all in french which was really really i was impressed with um and uh, uh and and ma- managed to get it sorted keep the people who had who we were house sitting for more or less happy um it go all the way back get it find a new car and then uh, quickly get all the way back down to the south of france again for the next house sit 
um, which was, the next one was uh, kind of uneventful, but the one after was looking after an alpaca farm um, of 18 alpacas and seven cats. Um, yeah, so uh, I thought it would be, this was something that you just couldn't say no to as like a sitting opportunity. Um, the uh, I thought it was going to be uh, also quite straightforward, like I thought maybe do alpaca chores in the morning and then do my work and that would be it. But um, actually the owners really, I guess it's their, you know, it's their um, alpacas are expensive. They're about 5,000 euros each and they shear them for wool and everything. So they really wanted us to know um, how to look after alpacas, how to make sure that they were okay. But we not only had to know the ins and outs of alpaca herding and uh, whatever else we do with alpacas, but we had to be able to recognize them all by name and say who they were by name because the owners wanted that if there was a problem, we would just phone up and say there's a problem with Beverly. Um, Beverly's the one that's related to this other alpaca, so it could be related to this. Um, and alpacas, as you know, they all look the same. <laughs> So trying to learn the names of 18 alpacas um, was very, very difficult. Did they um, have like a color tag system? They like, had, no, no, I, I would have gone for something like that if it was me in charge of the alpacas, but no, they did not. Um, so it took me at least a week and a half to start learning their names. Um, because yeah, it was just impossible. But by the end, I could tell all of them. So that were, was. Were cool. you just calling names? And yeah, yeah. To see who came, In the beginning, came by. I was just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and you had to feed them, I'm sure. Feed them, yeah. The cats were a lot of work as well. Um, the cats, there were seven of them. They all had um, their own like rules like some cats didn't like other cats and so each one had to be fed in a different place and they had different diets and they had different times they were fed so this has actually house sitting people say it's like an easy thing to do when you're a nomad is not you're basically like a butler for pets <laughs> i didn't have much time to do any of my own work at all between like the cats and the alpacas um uh, but it was good fun um and was, a great story and a great story yeah <laughs> And all the alpacas were okay, and the cats at the at the end. Yeah, right? they were they were all good, um, and it was uh, a shame to say goodbye to them. Yeah, well, which house sit in France was it where you told me that you became a wanted man? Oh yeah, so that was the next one. Um, so one thing, as you know, when you're a nomad, is that you need internet. Um, it's like the basic thing that you need. Um, I would say more than food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get your food by yeah. earning money from that, that's true home. yeah so internet first then food and water then a place to sleep <laughs> um and so when i when i uh, i'd found this house that was like a long-term one for several months i'd said the you know the one thing we need is internet and they said well we don't have it right now but the mayor of the um little uh I don't know what you call it, the little group of, uh, the hamlet, um, he's getting it put in and it'll be there by the time you get there. And of course it wasn't. Um, so, and, and we didn't find this out until, um, until it was basically time to turn up there. And we didn't, so we didn't have anything else to do. We had only just started freelancing ourselves, so we weren't really 
quite ready to go and rent a place or anything. Um, the whole reason for house sitting was just making sure that we, you know, um, we had we weren't spending money on rent and things like that. So um, they did have a dongle which was three gigabytes of internet, which is nothing. Um, and they also had uh, that was all they had, and we got mobile phones. Uh, we got SIM cards for our phones, data SIMs. But the max you could get was three gigs. So we had three, three, and three. So that was four and a half gigabytes each for two people to work online for a month. Um, so uh, we had to basically, uh, I turned everything off on my browser so there was no images, did not watch YouTube, didn't um, do anything that was like high data, um, anything I needed to do uh, that was like a phone call, like a Skype call or something. Um, I had to drive to the McDonald's, which was like an hour away, because it was the only place in the French countryside that had internet, was McDonald's. So yeah, just working while you're surrounded by the smell of grease. Um, and uh, But we got used to it. We made it work. Um, I managed to convince my clients to call me on the telephone instead of Skype, and it was all going fine. Until one day there was a knock at the door. This was a Sunday morning, and I went to answer it, and the French police were there. And they started asking questions like, who, um, who well, who are you, first of all? Because um, I guess we probably should have been registered there, um, but we weren't. Um, and they were expecting the owners of the house to answer. And we said, you know, the owners are not in, in French, of course, the owners are not here. They are in the outback of Australia and they can't be contacted. Conveniently. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which just sounds like we've murdered them and now we're living in their house. <laughs> so the questions continued um, naturally and we had no idea what was going on. And then they pulled out this photo of a girl who I guess was about like 15 or 16 and they said she's missing. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, I don't know anybody here, um, so I can't. I can't help you. Sorry, I can't help you. And this, and I thought that was going to be it. And then they pulled out this forum uh, printout of a forum conversation um, where they had um, uh, where at the very bottom of this conversation there was one mobile phone number which is my new French uh, mobile number and they said this is your number isn't it we contacted the French uh, uh, mobile phone company and they said it is and I was like well yes it is and they were like this girl is now missing for I can't remember how many days the uh, we don't have any leads apart from this phone number and it's yours <laughs> I know this is this was even worse than the car accident really because um, I was supposed to be like traveling uh, leaving France traveling back to the UK the next week um, I didn't really want to be at the center of missing child investigation um, so then uh, I, do, I didn't really know what to say um, like apart from Maybe it's a mistake, maybe it's a typo, something like that, and, and they were insistent that it wasn't. So the next thing they wanted to do was they wanted to look through our computers. Um, and I, and I, I just said yes, because I had nothing to hide, really. And, um, and the good thing was I really didn't have anything to hide because of the lack of internet there. I was only using it for work. I had only been using it for work for several months, so it was clean as a whistle, which made it look even more suspicious. 
Um, so then, um, so I had to show, they didn't really know what they were looking for on the computer. They just knew that maybe people who kidnap children might have something on their uh, computer. So they initially were looking in uh, Internet Explorer for something. And I asked them what they were looking for. And they said, oh, your history. And I was like, oh, I don't use Internet Explorer. Had to show them how to use Chrome. We went through it. We didn't find anything exciting. Um, so then, uh, then they said, uh, now we're gonna we're gonna stop for lunch, and after lunch, you have to come in for questioning. And this was like about midday or something, and um, come back in at two, and I just didn't know what to do. Like there was, well, we were say an hour, an hour and a half from the nearest town, so there was no, um, and I think I said it was a Sunday as well, so there was no chance probably of getting like a lawyer or getting a translator or anything like that. So, yeah, so I just, I took Google Translate out and I started looking up different phrases that I might need to know and questions I might be asked. Um, and and yeah, just kept trying to memorize them. I mean, it's hard to memorize the language anyway, but when your mind's on something else, it's even harder. Um, and then at two o'clock, um, we went down to the uh, police station and uh, I went in there. And then as I, as I walked in, the guy was on the front desk and he sort of he recognized me and and then he just burst out laughing and he said lucky for you she showed up oh my gosh and that was it she had um she had uh, found out that people had been looking for her she'd got back in touch with her her parents and um and and i was off the hook wow you don't even want to think about what, what it would have been like if she had just not exactly yeah um so i found out afterwards what had happened was that they recycle mobile phone numbers if you let them um, expire. Hers had um, expired and they had just recycled it really, really fast to mine. It was her number? Yeah. <gasps> what? Um, so, so, so yeah, so that's how I ended up with that. Wow. Well, it makes sense why it was in the, why it was in the forum then. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I never heard anything about it ever again, thankfully. It's not on a record somewhere. Oh, I'm, it might be on a record. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh, I'm so glad that you had such a lucky ending. That's like, I know. oh my gosh. And so then you never house sat again? I house uh, once more, oh, wait, once I more. think, okay. and the dogs weren't toilet trained. Um, they just went everywhere inside the house, so I just kept stepping in puddles, and uh, um, and then after that, I was like, you know what? It's it's been however long. It's been a year. I'm starting to make money now. I'm gonna rent. You gave house sitting a really good go. <laughs> I know, I know. Some people have amazing house sits. Like they will use uh, look after a lovely place in New York that would normally cost thousands of dollars to stay in. Um, I I didn't have that experience, <laughs> but I enjoyed it all the same, and it's what got me started. Um, if it hadn't been for that, maybe I would never have taken the plunge, and um, I would still be working in Scotland. Yeah, it's normally a very viable way to, like you said, you don't pay anything. You just take care of exactly. the pets or, or the house or both. And yeah, then you can get started on digital nomad life yeah. or whatever you need. Or it's or if you want that house situation or the house feeling when you're traveling. No, it's great for that. Um, that That is one of the best things. And even like um, it's... it's it better than an Airbnb in many ways because if you like to cook, you've got all the cooking equipment there and it's just a lot more homely. Yeah. 
That's great. I, I think it, it taught you a lot in that first year. I think you it got through some it, really hard times. <laughs> and then the next part of your journey, how, what were some of your favorite places that you visited and, and worked and lived in over those next several years? Um, so, if, even though um, the even though the fr- uh, France had a few situations, I think that was actually a really really good time. It wasn't the most exciting place in the world, the French countryside, but it was just really nice to go somewhere and not have a lot to do, um, just eat baguettes and go for walks in the countryside and try to speak French. And um, it it was exactly what I was looking for after having been working for several years in an office and with that sort of setup. Um, um, so that that was really good. I also loved Berlin, um, and I also loved uh, Lisbon a lot. I think probably they're my favorites. I spent some time in South Africa as well, just a, a short time, and um, that was great too. Um, people from South Africa are lovely. Cape Town, uh, Cape Town was great, and uh, the scenery there is fantastic. Um, a little bit sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably put me off living there permanently, like just having to think about your safety all the time, having to always be, you can't just sort of wander around the streets like we were doing earlier today. We weren't really thinking about our possessions, we weren't really thinking about our safety. Um, it's nice not having to do that. Right, especially if you come from a place where you didn't have to do exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. So you mentioned Lisbon, and I, I want to take some time now to okay. focus on Portugal in general, because I know at the moment that's what your current business is tied to. Can you first talk about your business and what you do sure. in Portugal? Um, so I run a travel website, a travel blog um, about Portugal called Portugalist. And it, yeah, it started off as a blog because I had been spending a lot of time out here. So my parents, uh, they ended up moving back with my two younger brothers when I was about 18, 19. When I moved to the UK, they moved out here. And the, my two brothers went to school here and they had to learn Portuguese for that. And they had to, you know, integrate quite a bit uh, with that. And my parents opened a bed and breakfast here. And so they've been out here now um, for about 15 years. And I've been coming out the, uh, to them during that time and also having, you know, sort of nomad instincts. And I felt that just between those trips and also having lived here as a child, I knew a little bit about Portugal and about Portuguese culture enough just to start writing something about it because um, there wasn't great information written about Portugal before. And um, even now, as I'm sure you're finding when you go to get answers for specific things, it can sometimes be quite hard to find them. So I thought, if I write what I know, at least the person who comes after me, is going, um, they'll be able to get information. Um, so I started doing that, and um, I don't think I really uh, thought about it becoming a full-time project like I kind of wished it would, but I, I underestimated just how much work it was going to end up being. Um, and uh, after, I guess, about a year or so, um, the traffic started to pick up, and I ended up working on it more or less full-time. Um, now I'm more than full-time working on it. Um, it was initially just about traveling in Portugal um, because that was what I enjoyed writing about and Portuguese food, Portuguese culture, things like that. Um, recently though a lot of people are asking about moving to Portugal like your, like your good self. Um, I think there's been um, 
there's been a lot of interest in it for uh, two, uh, two or three reasons. First, Portugal got really, really popular, uh, I don't know, maybe about 2014, 2015, something like that. It just suddenly appeared on a lot of people's radar, like all the magazines and travel websites started writing about it, saying you have to come to Lisbon, especially, and then once Lisbon was kind of over there, like you have to go to Porto. Um, and um, so people started... Um, thinking about traveling here a lot more than and then um, I guess with that living here um, and then after that um, Brexit happened um, and then so a lot of people in the UK were thinking um, you know if I want to move to somewhere in Europe I should move somewhere now where where is a good place for that um, and so again Portugal started to pop up and then you had an, uh, an election in the US, I believe, that might have led to a lot of people trying to flee in droves. Um, and again, they're thinking about that this November. So I think all these things have sort of really made Portugal a very popular place for people who are thinking about um, moving to, to somewhere new. Why do you think it is a good place to move to if, you, if someone was going to ask you, like, sure. hey, should I do it or why should I do it? So there's a lot of places that you can move to. I think the main thing with Portugal is you get a good, it's good for lifestyle change. So people often come here, especially people our own age, who are thinking, is it good financially, is it good for tax? And there's probably better places you can go for that. But um, those places are often in very obscure parts of the world um, where you know, it's going to be, they're going to be difficult for you to get to, they're going to be difficult for your friends and family to get to. You often have to set up comp really complicated um, company structures where you have, that you have to um, get an accountant to deal with. Um, Portugal um, might have like, like uh, higher taxes than those places, but you get a good quality of life. The um, cost, it's very easy living here. It's very relaxed and laid back. It's the third safest country in the world, apparently, which I think is a really big selling point. And to a lot of people, it's something that I had sort of taken for granted. But I think especially people coming from places like um, South Africa or um, South America, that's something that they're thinking about. And the other thing I'd say is that Portugal is just, it's very welcoming. Um, and, you know, at a time in our history when countries aren't so welcoming, welcoming of outsiders, Portugal has been very, very tolerant. And it's not so much just that, they're, that they let people come and it's safe, but they have various campaigns and incentives to get people to move here. Sort of um, uh, ta uh, tax schemes that you get, say, for the first few years that you're living here, which give you maybe a lower rate of tax just to get you settled. What else is there? The, it's very easy for someone who already has some form of income, be that a pension or a, a job that they have through self-employment to move here. If you can support yourself without um, needing to take a job in Portugal, um, that's, some, that's the type of person that Portugal is looking to attract. Um, so I think it's, um, yeah, it's nice to go somewhere where people are actively trying to get people to move to that country, I think. I think that's been one of the biggest potential selling points for me is that they are happy to have people who are self-employed and getting money from somewhere else, yeah. but you're, you're coming onto their tax scheme, you're going to be paying into the social security mm -hmm. and things like that. And they do, I, from what I heard, they give you like a 10-year, um, if you have to apply for it, it doesn't mm -hmm. just happen, but you, you can get ten, a 10-year tax break from 
your income, from what I understand, not fully, yeah. but there's some tax breaks, and that sounded really. I think that's one reason people are coming here so much. If I'm, um, if I'm like, if I understand it right, is because, like you said, they are they are so open and welcoming to come in and apply. Whereas a lot of other countries, like I know Germany and Spain, there are schemes, but they're much higher, like financial point of entry. Exactly. Yeah. So it is very affordable for. Um, for the average person, for the average person, say earning a Western wage to come and move here, um, yeah, the tax incentive the one you're talking about is the uh, non-habitual residency. So that's a ten-year uh, tax incentive or a tax break where you can be taxed. For most people, it's around twenty percent plus social security. For pensioners, it was a really really good deal until the end of March this year. There was zero percent tax. So you could move here and not pay any tax on your pension. So th that was fantastic for everyone. Now it's ten percent tax um, for pensions, which is um, which is a little bit more, and it means you have to decide whether it's right for you or not. But I think it's still a good um, it's still a good deal for a lot of people. And um, the other thing that you have to remember when you're moving to somewhere like Portugal is you're moving to you're moving to a country within the EU. Um, which I think is really good. You have the ability to travel within the Schengen area. You have the sort of um, the rules and the um, about about life that are set by the EU. The sort of standards, um, and you also have healthcare as well, which um, Portugal is not. Always, it's not usually in the top ten. It's usually just outside of it. Um, but it has a good quality of healthcare, and then private healthcare is also reasonably affordable. Most people I know seem to be paying around fifty euros a month for it on average, um, and that's to uh, get seen at a private hospital, um, potentially get whatever problems you have sorted there. If they, if it's not something that they're able to do, um, you get a referral to into the public system, and that usually means uh, jumping up the queue a little bit. Um, so it can be worth it for a lot of people. Yeah, I was watching a YouTube video about moving to Portugal and it was a family of four was paying 150 euros a month for their private plan, which just, I mean, to Americans, and they were Americans as well, okay. it seems like a big deal. Like, that's that's quite a deal. You're, you're going to have to tell me how much someone would normally pay for healthcare in the States. Um, so the same family said they were paying six to $700 a month for their healthcare. Okay. Plus uh, un unforeseen expenses that would be tacked on and just sent to them as a bill. That's the problem. Oh, okay. The real issue, besides six to 700 being, I think, way too high, you have these unexpected outside of your plan or outside of your deductible. Yeah. Expenses and that's really I think what people are becoming, especially in the states, which is the only healthcare system in the world like this. They're becoming very frustrated, and it's it's hard to maintain your everyday standard of living if that's happening, or if any emergency should occur. Yeah, so. yeah, you want to have that safety net, don't you? Yeah. Um. So I went to the hospital. Um, a few, uh, a few, maybe one or two months ago, because I've, uh, yeah, to cut a long story short, I fell onto a small wall and I cut my shins open and I should have gone to hospital straight away. Um, but I didn't. And I ended up, uh, the wounds ended up getting infected. So the, uh, my shins were split open and, um, I went to the hospital and I had to get put on a drip, which, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't something that I enjoyed. 
Um, and uh, did I have to get an injection as well? I had to see a doctor anyway to get referred to that. I might have had to see a doctor. Um, and then, yes, and then I had to go to the pharmacy and get a prescription. I think going in for the, into the emergency section of the hospital to get that trip, I think that was 16 euros. Um, the, yeah, like the total? It's total. <laughs> and then, I, well, I did have to go back to the, um, the Centre de Sud, which is the local health centre, which is um, uh, to see a nurse. I had to go back there twice a week. They would change the bandages and check that it was healing, clean it with alcohol. And I paid an average of about two seventy five for two euro seventy five for each visit. Um it's sort of it seemed to vary for some reason, like sometimes it would be three euros, three oh five, three oh eight. It's like it was really weird pricing. <laughs> At one point, like after I'd been four visits, they just like crossed off one of them, like as if you get the fourth visit free or something. Oh my God. Um so this was for someone who is here um, I guess being yeah treated as, as the same as a, as a citizen here. Are those kind of prices possible for someone like me if I were to hurt myself and go to the same clinic, would you say? Like, is that the public system? Um, that is, yeah, that is the public system. So someone coming who is resident of Portugal, they would probably have the best deal first. Um, in Portugal, you some, like in Portugal, you sometimes pay um, as I did, um, a little bit of money and sometimes it's for free. Um, I don't quite know what the rules are about which it, which you pay for and which you don't, but it's, I've never come away with a shocking bill. The Someone then who is an EU citizenship would probably get the next best deal, where they would be treated almost the same as, a, as someone who is local, because that's sort of the EU rules about health and travel within health, but they might have to pay a bit extra, but it, honestly it wouldn't be that much. Um, I, don't, I don't think people in Portugal really come away with, with big bills. And then, well, I guess you would know as someone who's come into Schengen, do you get treated as a EU person? I, I think if I were to become a resident of Portugal, I would. But as usually I have travel insurance. You have travel insurance, and okay. Typically I pay whatever it is up front. I actually haven't been to, I haven't received healthcare in the EU before. Okay. So I'm interested You're to see. You're missing out. Oh, am I? <laughs> I'm interested to see the bills actually. It's, it's, it's kind of always nice for comparison. Mm-hmm. But yeah, either way, all of those numbers you've given me sound very affordable. And Ex- yeah, it's I'm nothing shocking. I'm excited to yeah. pay them, James. I'm <laughs> You're almost excited. excited. <laughs> uh, no, I've never, you know, I've gone to a hospital in a few different countries in within uh, Portugal, I've never come away with anything that's been uh, shocking. I mean, if I was doing the math, and I'm not going to get the exact number, but if I was, let's say, paying $700 a month in the, the US for my health care, and then here I paid 70 euro a month, like that difference annually is going to make up for the higher tax rate I'm paying here. I think I'm still going to pay less, like overall. Yeah. Especially if I threw in going to school or seeking education here as well. So I think people forget about that. They yeah. Like, well, it's just more taxes. But if you're actually getting something for those taxes, I think it makes a big difference. It does, yeah. And um, and I guess being, yeah, like you say, being resident here, you're uh, likely to get more here than... Um, than when you're nomading. When you're a nomad, you're often paying into someone's tax um, system, but you're never really getting the benefits of it, even just things like the roads being repaired or things you're often away from that country for so long that you don't see it. 
my travel insurance, um, I have been and received treatment in several countries, and it always seems to be about 400 to $500 for just going to the hospital and getting a minor thing okay. checked or a checkup. And then I, I you know, apply for my money back uh, to the insurance company, but it usually takes three to four months, and they never give me everything, and it kind of seems okay. like it's still, is, it's been a bit challenging being a nomad, getting great healthcare. Yeah. Affordable stuff. I don't know if you found the same. Do you always get travel insurance when you go outside? I do. Um, so earlier this year, I had a, I had to go to hospital for a, a small um, thing. I got bit by a dog in Thailand, um, and uh, it was it was hard actually because um, I so I, the dog bit me in a temple. I was just sort of not paying attention to it. It was sniffing my leg. Something must have startled it, and then it just bit into me. And, and I didn't really know what to do. So I looked at it, it didn't really look like it was bleeding. And then I Googled what to do if a dog bites you in Thailand. And everybody said, you have to go to the hospital. Um, you first of all, you have to clean it and then you have to go to the hospital. Cleaned it with alcohol in one of those Thai toilets with the little squirty thing. And the toilet was, uh, yeah, it was just sort of covered in mud and dirt. And I thought this isn't the most hygienic place. And then I got to the hospital and it wasn't uh, the most hygienic place. That, either and, and I ended up going I that was in Pai and I ended up going back to Chiang Mai just because I wasn't sure whether I was going to need this um, this injection the name of which I can't pronounce but they, they don't have in all the hospitals in Thailand um, and because I couldn't remember if I'd had rabies injections or not oh, so boy. yeah I did do keep a record of these things before you go traveling and um, it turned out I didn't and I only needed five injections over the course of a month and they costed me, I think, about the equivalent of about $20 each. I could have got them cheaper. I think I think it was a lot cheaper in the um, Pai Hospital than it was in the one in Chiang Mai. Um, but that, so that came to like $100 or $120 in total, but that was lower than my excess for uh, travel insurance. So there wasn't really any point in me trying to claim it back. I would, so this really frustrated me actually. Because, um, yeah. That's uh, typically what happens is I'm like, well, it's almost not worth applying exactly. the money back, but then you still are paying that. So it's just something to keep in mind as a nomad versus as someone who is seeking residency yeah. of, of a, a country like here that has like a nice healthcare system. Exactly. From what it sounds like, no healthcare system is perfect, but that is a massive benefit of being a resident here, I think. Definitely, yeah. And I, I also feel like Portugal has great weather. It does. That that's a. I don't like to be freezing cold, so I'm happy to be maybe in, near Lisbon or in the southern part of Portugal, which I don't think gets that cold. Uh, no, certainly not uh, outside. Um, the houses can get cold inside, um, which is a problem here because um, central heating isn't really a thing here, and the houses aren't hugely well insulated, so people will often um, wear jackets inside. Um, which is quite bizarre. Uh, I used to live um, at the top of a hill in Grasa, um, which is one of the neighbourhoods here in Lisbon. And uh, when I got too cold in the house, I would go outside to warm up on uh, going up and down the hill and I would meet other people I know doing the same thing. Um, but um, but you do once you're outside, it's it's sunny. It's even in winter, it's sort of, you know, 15 to 20 degrees uh, Celsius. You might be able to translate that to Fahrenheit for me, um, which is a nice temperature for the winter. 
and that that makes a big difference i think to your quality of life if you're getting those blue skies every day if you're getting a bit of sunshine and um, vitamins into your body yeah i've also noticed that the people in portugal are very friendly they're very like you said quite open um, and even the few experiences I've had, um, first of all, I have two local friends already. I actually met them in Colombia, mm-hmm. but they are just some of the warmest, most caring and welcoming people I've, I've ever met traveling. And then I've been into some shops and the, these people, they obviously have never seen me before, but I feel like they're about to invite me to dinner. They're like showing me their entire shop, their entire place wow. while they're working. And I'm like, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not the normal level yeah. of... Um, it's happened to me in Japan before, mm-hmm. but here it's, this is probably the only place it's happened in Europe. So, and again, I haven't been to all the European countries, but I just feel quite welcome here. And that makes That's a big great. difference. I'm also curious, what are some other parts of Portugal besides Lisbon that you might recommend to people? Going back to the travel part of your blog. Okay. <laughs> um, so for living or for travel? Uh, let's start with for living. Cause we were talking okay. about that. So the areas that people are interested in are um, Lisbon is one of the main ones it's the biggest city in Portugal it's I think it's a good city because you've got um, you've got the good weather you've got access to the beach which you've already been to I think yeah um, which is good you can it's just a train ride away um, the nearest ones there's others uh, nearby um, and then you've got access to the the whole of the rest of Portugal quite easily as well um, so that's a popular destination, Cascais nearby, some which is um, which is a town just outside of Lisbon, about uh, I think it's about forty five minutes on the train. That is also popular for people who really want to be near the coast and don't mind uh, not being in the city centre. Is that expensive? Because that guessing... is more expensive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it tends to, for it tends to I think attract an old, a slightly older expat crowd. Um, I guess makes sense because they don't want to be in the city centre, they're not prioritising that. Um, younger people tend to be more in the city centre or those that, um, those that want to surf or be near the water might go somewhere else. Um, so those two are popular and then the Algarve is a, a hugely popular area for people to live. Um, again, particularly, it attracts an older crowd because um, just because it's mainly um, good weather, beaches, um, it's not somewhere that you'd necessarily go to and be able to find a job. There aren't a huge number of uh, other young people there. The most, uh, most of them that live there work in tourism or live in other parts of the country and come down. And the cities themselves are quite small there. Uh, there's two of them, uh, Portimang and Faro, they both have about 50,000 people, um, which is which is quite small. Um, so yeah, it attracts a mixture of people. Over on the west coast, there's a lot, um, a lot of other sort of nomadic types, not necessarily digital nomads, but people who go there for the surfing um, and for water related things. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's a good mixture there. And it is changing because it is such a nice part of the world um, and people, uh, can move there and bring their work with them. I think it'll probably grow as as a as a destination for digital numbers or nomads or for people um, who have some kind of remote type of job. Um, but at the moment, that's that. Where else is nice to live? Well, there's Porto, which is the second city in Portugal. Um, I I kind of think 
uh, it's more beautiful than Lisbon. Um, I do love it. Oh, I know it is a controversial <laughs> thing to say. Um, the only thing there's there's two reasons that I don't live there. Um, maybe there's more than two. Um, it is smaller, so that's number one. Um, than Lisbon and um, and I quite like a big city. Uh, Lisbon is still I feel quite small. Um, the second reason and probably the main reason for most people is the weather. Um, it does it gets a lot colder than than Lisbon does and it rains there quite a bit, especially in the winter. The summers are lovely, but cold, damp, grey winters. And the third reason is um, because because uh, I don't live there. Um, because it's wet and cold in the winter, nor does anyone else. So it's much easier to move to Lisbon if you're an outsider and you need to meet other people who've moved to Portugal as well. So those are some of the main ones. And then there's lots of other little areas that are popping up. So there's what's called Portugal's Silver Coast, which is just north of Lisbon. It's like a cheaper version of the Algarve. Um, around towns like Caldas de Rainha, um, and uh, and that sort of area, um, there's uh, lots of people moving there. Um, there's a part of Portugal up in the far sort of east of the country, slightly north, called Castelo Branco. Um, that seems to be growing in popularity because it's it's very affordable to live there. I've seen houses for less than 30,000 euros there, which is just so cheap. So a lot of people are moving there. There's, I mean, there's not a lot there. Uh, so it's you've got to like living in the countryside and being slightly isolated but if you're if that's what you're looking for and you're looking for somewhere cheap to do it it is an option and it sounds like the weather is still going to be just fine yeah exactly i mean it, you know the the winters can be cold but you can you know you can improve your house a lot of people do make renovations to it um, and like summer is quite long here as well that's so great and shout out to coimbra i've been to coimbra yes. once and it's I think it's the oldest university in Europe, and it's like 25% students, but I loved the energy there. I was there in the summer, but it was lovely. It has a river going through it. And it is, yeah, it's really nice. Um, it's a nice city. Not near the coast, though, so if you're into the coast, then... Exactly. Yeah, but if you're into Harry Potter, visit. Yeah, There's, there is a lot of Harry Potter stuff here. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, all the students from Queenbra, the sort of cloaks that they wear and some of the traditions that inspired Harry Potter. And then um, there's the famous bookshop in Porto. And um, uh, yeah, if you're into Harry Potter, it's a, it's a good country to come to. Yes. Yeah, so now that we've talked about best places to live, what about best places to visit and just for traveling? Yeah. So all the places I mentioned are great for travel. Like Lisbon is a great city break uh, with lots of history and culture. The Algarve is great if you want beaches. One place that I love to visit that I don't know if I'd live there is the Azores. Um, oh, yes. These islands in the middle of the Atlantic between Portugal and the United States or between North America. Um, they are really, really cool. So it's nine islands that were formed from volcanic activity. And it still has a you know a very strong uh, volcanic element to it. So each island has its own character and its own charm. The one I think people might have seen pictures of is San Miguel, which is the one with all the lakes that are inside um, former volcanoes. Um, you can you can have your your stew, uh, uh, cozido portuguesa, cooked 
inside a volcanic pit and eat that which is which is unusual i went to a pineapple plantation there um which they grow uh, the guy told me these are the best pineapples in the world and but we can only grow a small amount of them because we have to grow them inside greenhouses and we have only small uh, land and everybody and we can't compete with Costa Rica. I tried it. It was a pretty good pineapple. I don't know if I'd go with best in the world, but he was very proud of his pineapples. Um, and I also went to a tea plantation on the same island or two tea plantations, which is really cool actually, because I think it's the only place maybe in Europe that grows tea. And then on one of the other islands, there was a, a guy growing coffee. Uh, so it has um, it has a really really unique uh, climate. It's it's slightly different to the rest of um, Portugal because it's more tropical, and has really unique landscape. I think San Miguel looks a little like Hawaii. Terceira looks like Ireland. Um, yeah, it's it's got its own charm and and um, and it hasn't had tourism there really. Um, it depends on the island you go to. San Miguel is quite uh, touristic, but some of the others like there's there's just um, nothing really there in terms of tourism it's it, it can be quite difficult sometimes getting around and finding things you you definitely need to rent a car but um, but it's really cool to visit and I think it's going to blow up in the next uh, few years like Ryanair are already doing flights there fr um, from the UK and as soon as Ryanair comes into somewhere then it becomes popular um, so I would uh, I would definitely recommend trying that out. I checked that it's a two and a half hour flight from Lisbon to the it's not bad, is it? Yeah, and it's actually a five-hour flight from Boston. So okay. Americans, come on over when, yeah. once you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it seems like the, the Hawaii of Portugal, uh, and I, I'm really excited to get there eventually. And I went to Madeira last year. Oh, which nice. Is the other island. I think yeah. There's two little islands there, if I'm not mistaken. But that was fantastic. I would recommend that to anyone, especially for hikers. Mm -hmm. It was great. But again, like some, you might want to rent a car. Here's my insider tip. When we went, we stayed in an Airbnb. Okay. And um, the, the woman who owned it checked us in with her son, who was about 20. And he spoke English much more than she did. And the next day we tried to rent a car. And we realized like it was going to be a bit difficult with timing because the car rentals open at a certain time. They, you have to return at a certain time. And then I thought about our little 20-year-old. And I thought, what if we just tell him we're going to pay him to drive us around? Oh. And he agreed. Okay. And so he picked us up at 7 a.m., which was not available. Um, okay. We paid him extra for that, but yeah. it was not available if we would have rented a car. So I think he ended up seeing places he'd never seen on the island before, which was quite interesting. That's good. And being honest, um, it's probably nice to have someone else drive there. Um, when I rented a car, I rented the cheapest one because that's normally what I do. But it is so steep that the car was barely able to cope. Um, so and it was and it was hard you know there's a lot of sharp turns and things like that yeah paying someone else to drive you that sounds like a good plan I thought maybe he would be familiar with most of the island it turns out about half the island but oh, okay. he, was a, he was a great guy and uh, it was but I don't think he likes 7 a.m. to be honest <laughs> <laughs> sorry Pedro <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, any other places that you would recommend that you um, are visiting in Portugal Sure. Um, good question. The Alentejo is a very nice part of Portugal as well. Um, this is the area that sort of um, is the region that's just above the Algarve. Um, it's very rustic, uh, rural area. It's great. If you're into wine, um, it's a big wine region. 
um, if you into sort of countryside and nature, I th it's it's just very rustic and laid back. Food is hearty. Um, the all the villages are just sort of there. If you think Portugal, like Lisbon, and that is laid back and slow. The Alentejo is even slower. The average age there, I think, is about eighty or ninety. So people just sort of spend all day sitting outside under a tree. Um, but you know, for somewhere to go and relax just for the weekend, it's perfect. Because that sounds amazing. The um, one place that's just incredible is um, I don't know if you've been there. Is the Duru uh, Valley? No, but I've seen videos. It's, I really want to go. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Even if you just you can go up for say a, an overnight or something, it's beautiful. So I went up I think last October, which was a really nice time of year just to sort of see the colors that were there and um, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Do they have fall leaves there? They do a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's not a huge thing in Portugal, but they have it a bit more than um, some other places. Very nice. Did you go there from Lisbon? Um, I went there from Porto. Um, I know it's close to Porto, but I, I wonder how it, easy it is to get there from Lisbon. Um, I think it, you might have to change trains. You would go first up to Porto and then change over. Um, the buses might have a more direct route of getting there, I'm not sure. But it was great. You can also, if you want to, you can get a boat from uh, Porto and just go straight up the uh, Douro River um, and then stop off somewhere. Um, that's like the more expensive option or you can take the train um, the train ride was uh, I think it's one of the most scenic uh, rides and train rides in Portugal and train travel is really cheap here I don't know if you've noticed that but say getting from Lisbon to Porto or Lisbon to the Algarve you're spending about 20 euros which is not expensive I have to say like it's such a blessing to be in a country that has interconnected rail and buses and things like that if you don't want to drive everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say too that I've, I've discovered like that five day discount. So if you buy yeah. the ticket more than five days before, it's like sometimes half off. Or... Yeah, I think there's another, I've, I've written about it before, I forget, um, discount if it's even slightly further out, maybe about 10 days out. Um, so yeah, it can be very, very affordable. Um, it on something that's already affordable. Right, and I will also say while people are listening here that I tried to get a train uh, with no prior with no advance like planning last year in the height of the summer, mm -hmm. and it was I, there were no train tickets available. Okay. We like me and two friends mm -hmm. showed up at a Lisbon station wanting to go to Porto. We had to actually get a bus instead. Right. So do plan ahead if it's the summer especially and maybe just to get your discount you know? yeah do, no get the discount you'll uh, i feel a lot better if i know that i'm traveling with a discount um right. if i if i bought the ticket and knew it could have been cheaper that'll annoy me the whole train journey okay, <laughs> just a few more days, unless you're you know spontaneous exactly like, okay Durabelle, here i go tomorrow. yeah so. the buses are more modern than the trains so they have they sometimes have Wi-Fi, whereas the trains barely ever have it working. And uh, the aircon usually works on there as well, which it always it doesn't always on the trains. The trains are very old in Portugal. They need to be updated at yeah. some point. But they're cheap. <laughs> and they're cheap. I prefer cheap yeah. and be coming up with my own solutions. Um, yeah, I think I, I've traveled a little bit in um, Spain and also in Germany by train. And it's not as cheap, definitely. And going back to internet, I think internet is quite good here overall. 
Um, certainly if you were to move here, you could make sure you moved to somewhere that had like fiber internet and you would have a good solid connection. Sometimes with Airbnbs, it can be a bit hit and miss, but, but there, it definitely is a possibility um, to get good internet here. Well, James, thank you so much for sharing all of these things about Portugal, both moving and traveling here. I need to start reading your blog daily <laughs> because I'm trying to explore. Now I'm here for at least two to three months, but perhaps much longer if I become a resident. So yeah, where can people go if they want to read your blog and find so, out more about you? Yeah, so Portugalist, um, so that's Portugal and then IST com is the blog and that is the best place to go and if you want to email me you can email me james at portugalist.com i check that uh, all the time if you send me a message on social media i might not check that for a while because i still haven't gotten to a good habit of um, updating social media but yeah if you do things the old-fashioned way you'll get a hold of me all right well thank you so much james thank you Thank you so much, James, for giving us such great advice on Portugal and keeping us on the edge of our seats with your foray into house sitting. I still haven't done house sitting myself, but as James has illustrated and you may have heard from friends who've done it before, there are definitely ups and downs, but it can be a great way to start with your long-term travel or just travel without having to pay for accommodation. So yeah, keep the house sitting in mind and definitely keep Portugal in mind. James has written many fantastic articles on living and traveling through Portugal on portugalist.com. So be sure to check those articles out if we have convinced you in this interview to come and check out this amazing country. I will put the links and show notes for James's blog on theschooloftravels.com and I will be providing more updates on the details of the residency process in a future episode for any people who might be interested. So be sure to check back here at the School of Travels podcast for the latest updates on my progress on that. And until next time, listeners, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world